Welcome to the Hope Elam Podcast. We are a diverse church in the heart of Des Moines, seeking to bring God's kingdom as we live more like Jesus. We hope that what you're about to hear points you to Jesus Christ. Know that we're praying for you and look forward to connecting with you soon. He's not gone. He's back. Amen. Praise God. Absolutely. That is the truth that we celebrate today. It is so good to have every single one of you here. If we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name's John. I'm one of the pastors here, and we want to welcome you in, whether you're here in the room or worshiping with us in our online family. It is great to have you here. Whether you were here last weekend for Easter or not, you know the call. I say he is risen. You say he's risen indeed. Let's try it again. He is risen. Oh, you still got it. You still got it. And that is just as true today as it was last week. It's just as true today as it was 2,000 years ago when Jesus came walking out of that grave. He's not missing. He's back. Amen? He's back. He's back and he's back for you. I can confirm that this morning that the grave is still empty. You know, for those of you that were here last week, we had the whole uh, tomb set up here. We, we took that down. Easter's done. We have no use for it anymore because he's alive. Amen. So we uh, packaged that up and put it in the closet for another year. Uh, and then he'll come back from the grave again next year. It'll be great. But before we tore it down, one of the perks of being a pastor's kid for my six and nine-year-olds you see up there on the screen is that they had to check it out for me. So they came in midweek while the tomb was still up, and I said, okay, guys, go in there. You have to understand at their age, this is like the world's coolest fort. I mean, this is the grave that Jesus came out of. And so I said, you guys go in there and you let me know if he's in there or not. And so they go in there. And my six-year-old, Evie, is so pressed. She took this so seriously. She's like, Caleb, Caleb, do you see him? I, I can't see him anywhere. And then she pops out and goes, Dad, he's gone. He's gone. He's not in there. So I can confirm to you, he's not there. Amen. He's gone. He's missing. He's alive. He's not there. And that is the truth that we celebrate today. That's the truth that we celebrated last week. If you were around, what an incredible week of uh, services. The Spirit of God was here. His presence was here. That's the most important thing. We are nothing without His presence to change lives, to transform people, to see and hear of all the miracles that have come uh, out of that, the stories uh, that we've been hearing. This is also worth celebrating because God loves people. And that's why we talk about this, is that uh, on Easter, over 1,400 people worshiped with us, and a Holy Week, 2,200 people worshiped with us here at Hope Elam. So praise God for that. Some of you are like, oh man, it's another church just was worried about numbers and how many people are here. You know why we care about numbers is because we care about people. And Jesus cares about every single one of you. And we would have done all of that over again if it would have been for one person sitting there as well. Because God cares about people. People matter to God and transform lives. And that's what we're about as a church. Amen? That's why we exist, is to see God transform lives. And so we celebrate that. That's our mission to reach as many people as possible with the everlasting love of Jesus Christ. If you wondered who we are and why we are, exist, that's it. going to let you behind the curtain here a little bit. That's what makes our hearts beat 
inside of us. We love new people. In fact, just last weekend, we had over 30 people stop by the, the New to Hope Elam booth that we have right out here uh, in the lobby. And so if you're new today, if you're visiting, stop by that, as the gal said, for a free gift. But so many of those people that came said, I, I don't have a church home. I haven't been doing this church thing. I, I don't know what it means to follow Jesus. And we just loved connecting with them. And so I was talking with a, a couple that's relatively new. They said, we've been coming for about a month uh, or so to Hope Elam, and we've been kind of checking it out. And I always love to ask, when you first came to Hope Elam and experienced all this, like, what was your thought? And they're like, do you want our honest answer? No, I want you to lie. Yes, I want your honest answer. They said, it was a little weird. And I go, I know, it was for me too. And I'm one of the pastors. So that's okay. And I said, but something kept drawing you back. And they said, yeah, we just kept coming back and learning a little bit more. And you could tell they were stumbling over their words and they just had these big eyes and they just couldn't quite put it into words. And then finally the, the, the gal said, it's like this fire inside of our hearts has been lit again and it just keeps growing and growing. And I said, yeah, that's it. Like, keep, keep, amen. Like, keep going with that. Keep going with that. And then after that, their words, not mine, their eyes just get really big and, and the, the guy takes a deep breath and he goes, so, so what do we do now? And I said, oh man, I can't wait to tell you. Like, I live for these moments. The raw spiritual hunger. It what was so intriguing to me. The, 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 the spiritual hunger, the, the surrender that they had. And I wonder, when's the last time you walked through those doors with that attitude? When's the last time you walked in those doors and said, Jesus, I'm here for whatever you want. I don't know what it is that's drawing me here. I don't know anything about this church. I, I'm still getting used to it. I don't know if I agree with everything that they're talking about. But man, I have this desire inside of me, like this little flame. And God just wants to set that on fire. He wants to have your heart burn from within you this morning, just like this couple that I met. And, and chances are they're not the only ones that are thinking that. What, what do we do now? I mean, essentially what they're asking is, what is this all about? What does it mean to be a part of the church? What does it mean to follow Jesus? And because we're still just over a year old, we're a relatively new church, people are still trying to figure us out. What are you guys all about? And they're asking that question, and chances are they're not the only one. We are a very diverse church in a lot of different ways, but in one of those is church backgrounds. We say what, you know, denomination you're from, or I was Baptist, or Pentecostal, or Lutheran, or Catholic. <gasps> yes, there's Catholics here. We're so welcome uh, that, that you're here. We love you guys. Um, and, and that's a pretty big tent. And so we have, there's a lot of ideas and assumptions and backgrounds and what, this is what I grew up with and this is, what I, this is what I think the church should be like. This is what I think it looks like to be a Christian. And we put all that together. It makes for a pretty interesting church and some pretty interesting conversations sometime. And because of that, I think it's important that today on this weekend after Easter that we say, what does it mean to be Easter people? What does it mean to be people of the resurrection? What does it mean to be the church. And so we all bring our ideas to the table. Maybe for some of you, you're like, it's a tradition. That's, that's what it is. This is what my family and I have done. This is what me and my kids are going to do now. We're going to come once a week, and that's great. And, and for others of you, it's, it's like we're going to come, and we're going to hear the sermon, and we'll sit back, and we'll listen to the music. I'm not going to be one of those people that actually sings along. I don't want anybody to hear my voice. Hey, the Bible says make a joyful noise, not an on-beat or on-pitch noise. So you just sing your guts out, okay? Some of you are like, I'm going to do my thing. It's, it's like a concert. You know, you come and you consume it. 
you take it in. Others of you are like, no, 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 no. See, John, I'm an extrovert, and this is like social hour for me with a little Jesus juice injected into it. Like, I, I, I love this, and we come, and I get to see all of my Jesus friends, all of my Christian friends, and so it's like a big social hour once a week. It's great, and that's why I come. Well, no, maybe some of you are like, no, I, the, the week kind of, life kind of beats it out of me a little bit. And so I come to kind of get what I need. I'll get my little spiritual boost. And if that's, you know, once a month, twice a month, that's fine. I'm just here to get what I need to get out of it. And there's nothing wrong with any of those things. They just all kind of miss the main point. That there is so much more. And so wouldn't it be good instead of coming in and saying, well, this is what I want church to be. This is what I want following Jesus to be. Wouldn't it be helpful if we went back to the source? Like before there even was a church, before it even existed, and maybe see that what the God that created us, the God that wrote this word, has to, the God that created you and me, what he might have to say about what the church is. All right, so if you have your Bibles, open up to Mark chapter 16, and this may look very familiar. This is where we left off last week. Mark chapter 16 in the Easter story, and then we'll get to our text for today. Often when we go to the Easter accounts in the Gospels, for which there is one, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all share that a little bit different. In the Mark account, what I love about it is that it tells the Easter story, but it gives us a lot of context. We like to jump to the miracle. What happened before the miracle? In verses 1 and 2, we read that the women were going to the tomb to anoint a dead body. They were going with low expectations to expect death. So put yourself in their shoes of what they've been through. What a mess. We talked about this last week. Before we get to the miracle, sometimes you got to go through the mess. Amen? Before you get to the mountaintop, sometimes you got to go through the valley. Before you get to Sunday, sometimes you got to go through Friday. And for them, this was it. This was the valley. Think about the mess that it is. It's a personal mess. Their best friend had just died. Jesus was fully human. And some of you have experienced the pain of grief and loss, specifically over the last year. So it's a personal mess. It's also a spiritual mess for them. This is, this is their faith. All of these good, God-fearing Jews for generations suddenly got on the Jesus train. And they're like, I'm going to put all of that aside and I'm going to follow you, Jesus, and you are the Messiah that my ancestors and their ancestors and their ancestors have now believed in and promised and hoped for for thousands of years. The Messiah finally shows up and now he's dead. What a mess. So put yourself in their shoes. It's a spiritual mess. It's an organizational mess. Okay? This was the movement. They left everything behind to follow Jesus for the last three years wherever he went. It is a mess for them. And so as they approach the tomb, their expectations are pretty low. Then they discover the tomb's empty, an angel sitting outside going, he's not here. Now you would think that because of Easter and the joy and excitement of Easter, all the gospel accounts would end with, and then they all got together, and everybody believed, and they had an Easter brunch and a church service and went home and enjoying God. That is nowhere close to the way that Mark ends. Look at verse 8. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. And in a lot of gospel accounts of Mark, that's how it ends. Like, good night, everybody. Thank you. Happy Easter. Like, that's how it ends. Now, later manuscripts add on verses 9 through 20. So let's go there and, and see. Mark says, when Jesus rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared to Mary, and she went and told those who had been with him, and they were mourning and weeping. When they heard that Jesus was alive and had seen him, they 
did not believe it. Verse 12, afterward, Jesus appeared and informed two of them while they were walking in the country. They returned and reported it to the rest, but they did not believe him either. What a mess. What I love about Mark's account of the first Easter, it is full of doubters and skeptics. Not people that, oh, sure, I'll just believe. I'll just check my brain at the door. I'll just go along with it. Sure, a guy just died and was in a tomb and now he's walking around. Sure, I'll go along with that. The Easter story leaves plenty of room for a mess full of doubters and skeptics. Even days later at Jesus' ascension, as he's ascending back up to heaven in Matthew 28 to sit at the right hand of the Father, okay? These people had literally seen Jesus crucified, put in a tomb, and then they have literally seen him. Jesus appears to over 500 people in the weeks following the resurrection so that you would know that you know that it's real. And yet, those that had seen him with their own eyes, Matthew 28, as Jesus is going on this like giant zip line up to heaven or something, he's going, and it says they worshipped him on the mountain, and yet some still doubted. What? What? Jesus is standing right in front of you, and you still don't want to believe? And somehow Jesus was okay with that. There was plenty of room. In fact, if you do an exhaustive study of, uh, and, and kind of parse that and do your Greek exegesis on that, that word doubted in the Greek literally translates to, eh, that's it. It's eh, in the Greek, right? All these different people that experienced Jesus, even who he appeared to personally, the, the translation of the Greek is doubted, by the way. They still didn't believe. There's plenty of room. The first thing you got to learn about following Jesus is messy. It's messy. And if you are one of those people today that is wrestling with this, I got my doubts about Christianity. I, I, I'm skeptical about whole, this whole Jesus thing. Know that you are not alone. Even in the three years of Jesus's ministry leading up to his death and resurrection, there were hundreds if not thousands of people that traveled with Jesus everywhere that he went, and they didn't agree with him on everything. And they hadn't bought into the whole thing yet. And they had their doubts. And they were skeptics. Think about the same people that were there on Palm Sunday. All of a sudden, five days later, are yelling, crucify him. They're not all bought in. And yet, Jesus seemed to be okay with that. Jesus has this really big tent that you can be a part of if you're in the Jesus camp. And he says, come and follow me. It seemed like the theme of Jesus' life was that you can belong long before you believe. Jesus says, you can be on the journey with me. So he never says it out loud, but that you watch Jesus' life and there was always people around him checking things out. And Jesus' message is, come and see, come and see, come and see. So if we're going to be a church after Jesus' own heart, we got to be a church where you can belong. And as you belong, you say, I've never been so loved. I've never been so accepted. I've never seen people love each other like this. I've never seen people become family and become unified and not let their differences divide them apart and, and unite around Jesus. He's the centerpiece, and Jesus seemed to be okay with that. And in the process of that, you don't even realize you're being discipled before you even believe. Because you're watching people love each other and serve each other. You're, you're being brought into the family of God. And then you become more and more like Jesus. And at some point you're going to say, I'm ready to say yes to the Jesus that's already said yes to me. You don't even know. You, while you were looking for Jesus, he's been looking for you since the day you were born. 
knocking on the door of your heart. And you can belong as you become, and then at some point you're going to say, I believe it. And Jesus seemed fine with that. And yet somehow, in the church, we flip that list. And we say, no, 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 no. You can't be a part of us. You can't belong to our church. You can't come to Hope Elam, for instance, if you don't believe exactly everything that we believe right away. You got to vote the way that we vote, and we're going to tell you who to vote for and what you should believe, and this political stance and that social stance, and you got to look like us, and you got to talk like us, and you got to believe all the same things we do and have all the same beliefs, and then we'll indoctrinate you, and you can become like us, and then we'll welcome you with open arms. The problem is, that's not Jesus. Those aren't the stories that we see in the gospel. Do we absolutely believe that belief is powerful? Yes. Jesus constantly over and over says stop doubting and believe but there is space for you to explore. This is a skeptic friendly church. Come and be with Jesus. Come and ask your questions. Don't check your brain at the door. We're not going to say keep your science over there. I actually believe that science and Jesus really fit together nicely. Why? Because God gave you the brain to understand and come up with science, right? They actually fit together very nicely. They're not opposed to each other. You belong here. There is a place for you here. And that's why we're not out on the streets beating people over the head with the Bible. Come to Hope Elam. (laughs) Get the scriptures into your head. Come on, memorize the Bible and then come on over for worship. No, what do we say? Come to community night. Why don't you sit down and have a meal with us? Well, wait a minute. In the eyes of the world, you're supposed to be my enemy. You're on the other side of the political aisle. Wait a minute, you're from the suburbs, and I'm from the city. You're black, I'm white, I'm brown, you're Republican, I'm Democrat. Whatever it is, so come. What did Jesus do all the time, amen? What did Jesus do all the time? He goes up to people that nobody else wants to hang out with, you know, all those people, and he says, I'm coming to your house for dinner. And you know, in those days, when you went to somebody's house and you shared a meal, it wasn't like, ah, let's go through the drive-thru at Mickey D's, right? When you had a meal with somebody, it was a sign of friendship. I'm coming to your house. I'm hanging out with you. And Jesus is always having meals with people that he shouldn't be having meals with. Belong first. Jesus says, you can follow me. And I trust that at some point you're going to put your faith in me. What does it mean to follow Jesus? There's plenty of room for your doubts. Doubt is not the opposite of faith. Unbelief is. There is a lot of room for doubt. Some of you need to hear this. Doubt, days of doubt, weeks of doubt, seasons of doubt, do not disqualify you from following Jesus. If that was the case, there wouldn't be any disciples, including all of us. Maybe the Bible isn't written to be a list of exceptions. Maybe it's just a list of this is what it means to follow Jesus with bumps in the road, with peaks and valleys, with dark nights of the soul, with plenty of room for doubt. See, the devil will do this. The devil will try to get to to use your doubt as a way to push you away from your faith. You don't really believe that. The Holy Spirit really didn't show up in your heart on Easter. No, you can't really trust that. God's holding out on you, and he'll plant all those seeds of doubt. God actually wants to use your doubt to draw you closer to him. That's the difference, okay? Like this. Go ahead and go to the next slide. I, I believe this. I believe that the strongest faith isn't a faith that never doubts. I believe the strongest faith is a faith that grows through your doubts. Amen? 
to be, to be a part of a church where I can come in and I can ask the hard questions and say, I don't have all this figured out and I can actually belong here while I'm exploring Christianity, while I'm exploring Jesus. There's two ways to view your doubt. One is a distraction and one is an opportunity. One is to draw you away from church and draw you away from your faith, and another one is an opportunity. And God says, I want to use that opportunity to draw you closer to have a personal encounter with me. I mean, think about Thomas, right? He gets kind of a bad rap. Like, his nickname is Doubting. If I'm Thomas, I'm like, geez, come on. Everybody else was doubting at the time. Why did I get slapped with that nickname, right? Here's why. Do any of you have a friend group? And everybody wants to be kind of like PC and not say anything socially awkward. But there's that one friend that just says what everybody else is thinking. You know what I'm saying? Maybe some of you are that person and you don't even know it, right? Just going to say it. Thomas was that person. Well, everybody else is like, oh, Jesus is alive. I love Thomas. I don't know. Eh, I'm not sure. And if you're that person today, welcome to Hope Elam. We love it that you are here. There is a place for you here, okay? You and everybody else, and I admire that. And what I love is that Thomas brings him his whole self, his doubts, his fears to Jesus. And watch what happens when you encounter a risen Savior. Take a look. What would you have done? (laughs) The resurrected Jesus comes and is close to you well, he is as close to you this morning as we could just watch up and walk up and tap you on the shoulder, touch the top of your hair, and show you the holes in his hands and his side. I love that when Jesus shows up, he doesn't belittle Thomas, he doesn't shame him, he says, Come and see, explore for yourself. Look into it yourself. There's so many things I love about the way that that clip was done. The one thing I I don't love is that I hate to break it to you, but Jesus was not a blonde hair, blue eyed Norwegian white man. So I just want to point that out, okay, for all of you that thought that. If anybody's got an in with Hollywood and can make some more Jesus movies with a dark-skinned, short Arab man that's Jesus, that would be a little bit better. So we'll work on that. But you get the point. Jesus came back for you. He came back for you. And some of you are like, well, he's not here. I can't, I can't see him. I can't touch him. How do I know that he's real? I want to point you to some really practical things that you can do to take that next step if you're doubting, if you're struggling with skepticism today. Number one is um, there is a, a film that's based on a book. It's called The Case for Christ uh, that came out several years ago. It's written by uh, a man named Lee Strobel that was it's an investigative journalist, a former atheist, and he sought out to disprove the resurrection, to disprove Christianity, and in the process of doing that, <laughs> became a believer. Like, how cool is that, right? So he did all the research, and at some point he realized it's getting a little bit, it takes more faith for me to not believe than to actually believe. Because the evidence is overwhelming. Over 500 witnesses that you could ask any scholars, historical, scientific, theologian, whoever you want to ask, there is more historical and scientific evidence that a man named Jesus died and rose again and appeared to hundreds of people than almost any other historical fact in history. Dive into it. Look into it for yourself. 
wrestle with it. Look at the case for Christ. Take the Alpha class that we offer here at church. It is designed for people that are wrestling with this, that want to know who this God is, who this Jesus is. Get into a small group. If you're wrestling with your faith, don't do it alone. Christianity is, the, the Americanized version of Christianity is ask Jesus into your heart and do it by yourself. That was never the way that it was designed. It was a relational community type of religion where people would get together and the oral tradition was they would share the scriptures with each other. You were never meant to do your faith alone. Get in a small group. Wrestle with it. Wrestle with the scriptures together. Find a safe place where you can wrestle with it. And last but not least, maybe most importantly, look into it for yourself. Read the Gospel of John. Read the gospel, look into it, and don't come to it with your presuppositions and this is who I want Jesus to be. Let Jesus come to you on his terms, exactly who he is. I said that to a a young man over at Drake uh, a couple years ago. By the way, it's like bring your parents to church day. I've met like 10 parents of Drake students here today, so praise God that you're here. I don't know how that happened, but we're glad you're here. Um, I was over at Drake, uh, one of the parachurch ministries over there is called InterVarsity, and I was speaking at that a couple years ago, and I was telling about Jesus and the resurrection, how he's changed my life, and a group of students came up to me afterwards, and I met this young man from China who had grown up, grown up Buddhist his whole life, and he was like, John, I, I really liked your talk and everything, but eh, there's that Greek word again, eh, how do I know that it's real, he said. How do I know Jesus is real? I just wasn't in the mood to argue with him. And I said, here's my challenge for you, sir. I dare you. Get yourself a good Bible. Read the Gospel of John every day for about a month. And pray this bold and dangerous prayer. Jesus, reveal yourself to me. Make yourself real to me. And I believe that he will bless that prayer. He will answer that prayer. Jesus loves to be known. We worship a God that instead of staying up in heaven chose to reveal himself to us as one of us. That he would be as close to you this morning as he was to the disciples. That he's knocking on the door of your heart. That he's sitting right next to you. That he's tapping you on the shoulder. So that you would know that you know that you know that he's real. Pray that prayer. Dive into it for yourself. We know that because Jesus shows up to people all the time. Like in our reading that Shantice read for us this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 24. So if you're in Mark, it's the very next gospel. Okay, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John if you're new to the Bible. If you can't remember the last time you opened a Bible, again, welcome to Hope Elam. We love it that you're here. There are free Bibles in the back of the worship center. We'd love to have you take one of those for free today. So look at verse 13. Okay, that's our story for today. That same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about what had happened, so the the events of the last week. And as they talked and discussed these things, get this, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. There's a lot of ways that Jesus could have chose to reveal himself after the resurrection. He could have ziplined it up to heaven and say, hey you, peons down there, I'm alive! Do your best, be good people, and maybe you'll get to heaven someday. What did he do? He just started walking alongside of him. And they didn't even know it was him. Check this out, verse 16. But they were kept from recognizing him. This might date me a little bit, but does anybody remember the show that was on TV called Undercover Boss? 
Do you remember this? And like these CEOs of Fortune 500 companies would like dress up as a common everyday worker or something like that, and they would show up, and in the end, they would be always oh, see him the whole time. This is the greatest covert operation in history, okay? They are talking about Jesus, who they think is dead as a doornail in the tomb, and the dude is walking right beside them. Like, how cool is that? Over hundreds of appearances over these weeks, but you'll notice in this situation and many others, never to crowds. Never to crowds. Seems like the resurrected Jesus seems less interested in public announcements and more interested in personal encounters. Like with you. Happy Easter! Thousands of people! Woo! We might be saying that. You know what Jesus is saying this morning? I came back for you. I went to hell and back and defeated sin, death, and the power of hell so that I could look you in the eyes this morning, that you would stop consuming and stop going through the motions and believe. Stop doubting and believe. There is space for you here to do that, to have a personal encounter. What does it mean to follow Jesus? Oh, it's messy. There's lots of room for doubters, but it is highly, highly personal. Never private. Can't keep it to yourself, but very, very personal. And he's knocking on the door of your heart right now. You skip down to verse 28. They talk to him the whole time. The story continues. It's not until Jesus comes over for dinner and they break bread that they realize it was him. And they're like, wait a minute! It was you the whole time? And they're like, yes. And then one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. Look at uh, verse 32. I think we've got a slide for this one. Let's read it nice and loud together. Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road? A.K.A. It's like this dude came up and lit the fire in our hearts again. We had lost hope. You hear what they say right, right after that. They're, they're convinced. Verse 21, one of the men shares that Jesus is crucified and they're devastated because we had gotten our hopes up and now he's dead. We'd given up hope and Jesus is standing right next to them. He's been there the entire time. What if Jesus has been walking next to you your entire life and you're just now realizing it? What if in all of those moments that you thought Jesus was so far away that I've got some pain in my life and so Jesus must be absent? It was actually those times when Jesus couldn't be any closer. When you were in high school and your parents got divorced, he was right there. When you lost your job, when you're sitting there in the dark night of the soul and you're ready to grab the bottle one more time because your depression is at an all-time high, he was right there with you. He's never left. He's never left. Some of you are thinking, there is something dead in my life today. It's over. And you're saying like the man on the road to Emmaus, we had hoped. I got my hopes up that God is who he says he was. I had gotten my hopes up that Jesus was going to come through for me. And some of you are sitting there and you're telling yourself the story of death and death and death and death. And what you don't realize is exactly like these two men. The, the, the resurrection and the life is standing right next to you. Amen? And he's been there the entire time. Offering you that new life. Jesus wants to bring something dead back to life in your life today. Something that's dead. Something that's dormant. He's been there the entire time. Little did they know, Jesus, the one who is hope, hope was about ready to come on over for dinner. Like that close. And the reason we ask this question, what is the church? 
What does it mean to follow Jesus? The reason we start here is because it didn't exist yet. And so it's very important that we start to ask that question. We're not coming and say, well, this has been my experience. This is what I want Hope Elam to be. This is what I want the church to be. This is what I want Christianity to be. No, we go back to the beginning of the story. And actually, this story is a few weeks before something called Pentecost, where the power of the Holy Spirit comes and Jesus says, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to send my presence into your hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to light the fire inside of you again, and you're going to go and change the world. The church hadn't even started yet. So what do we know at this point? This is all we know. Before the church even started, this is what we know. This is what we got. Followers of Jesus. They follow him for the last three years. Witnesses to the resurrection. I don't know. I don't have all the answers. I don't have it all figured out. I don't have the whole Bible memorized. I'm not perfect. But the dude just came back from his own funeral. That's all I know. So we should probably pay attention to that, right? Regardless of what you believe, I would look into that if I were you. You might just want to raise something in you. Filled with the Holy Spirit, we know that because of Pentecost, and last but not least, sent on a mission. Before Jesus has the church do anything, he says, go. The primary identity of the church is sent people. Not people that come and sit in a pew, but the people that are sent. And so maybe the reason that God has you here today is to get your assignment to go and be the church at the end of the morning, okay? This is what we have. But what I want you to notice on this weekend after Easter, church hasn't started yet. It's got a bunch of people on fire for Jesus. What is not on that list? A building, although we love it, and it's amazing, and I'm very thankful for it. What's not on that list? A pastor. Now, we're thankful for them, but they're a little overrated, okay? <laughs> a music style, a genre, a, 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 a denomination. Uh, well, Jesus did cook breakfast after he rose from the dead, so that's why we have breakfast. That is an essential <laughs> You can argue with me on that one, but that is essential to being a church, is a, is a good breakfast. None, none of that is on that list. Key number three, following Jesus, being a part of a church is an identity. It's not an event that you attend. It's an identity that you live into every single day as a follower of Jesus. The point is, if we're going to continue to build Hope Elam on the foundation of God's word, we start here. At the very core, what it means to be the church is there are these people that have been witnesses to the resurrection, and he, he lights this fire inside of them to where it's all-consuming, and it affects every area of your life. I've never been so on fire. I'm on fire with the love of God and I can't keep it to myself and I'm going to keep inviting him and tell everybody I know and you're going to get a whole bunch of people together like that and it's called the church. That's how the whole thing got started. That's how they flipped the entire Roman Empire at the time on its head. That's how they changed the world. No buildings, no pastors, no worship services. Yes, those things came. It was the power of the Holy Spirit through ordinary men and women. And nothing's changed. Amen? It's the same thing. So why would we think any differently? It's why we say every week, go and be the church. Now that you've come to worship, go and be the church. Because in a little bit here, the church is going to leave the building. And it's going to go into the city streets and employment offices and your jobs and your homes and your families and soccer fields and track stadiums and fill up Des Moines with the church. Because the church is not an event the church is not a place where you go. The church is a people who are. That's your new identity wherever you go. And I don't know about you, 
But when it comes to my allegiance, I am sure as heck not putting my hope in a, in a human leader, in, 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 in a pastor. I'm not going to put my hope in a worship style or denomination or what the church looks like or the style of music or the style of preaching. The resurrected Savior, who is your king, is standing here in front of you today. That's where my allegiance is at. I don't know about you. That's the foundation I want to build my life on, right? As the old hymn says, right? I want to put my foundation on Jesus, on Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand, right? We got some old timers, some old time hymners in the, in the room today, right? That's where I want to build the foundation. The reason we start here is because I know, well, this isn't everybody's experience. Some of you are like, John, I, I want to have that flame burning brightly today, but if I was going to be honest, which we like to do at church, that's my heart today. It's there, but it's just kind of down to a little pilot light. John, COVID took it out of me. I, I used to be really, really involved and connected, and I was leading, and I was growing, and I was serving, and man, I just kind of got out of the habit. Life, life took it out of me. I've got my doubts. I've got my, my fears today. I've got my concerns about church. I've got my concerns about Jesus. It's been a really rough last couple years. I just kind of stopped serving. I, I, I stopped growing, and, and, and I stopped connecting with Jesus every single day, and I just feel terrible about it. And I got all this guilt, and I got all this shame. And maybe it's your first time back to church in a long time, or maybe last weekend it was, and you're like, this, this is me. And sometimes it's not even that. But this is all I got. And if that's all you got today, that's all Jesus needs. That's all he needs to work with. And he wants to light the fire in your heart again today to where it is an all-consuming fire that our God is. And in some strange way, I, I don't know why my mind works this way, but it, it brought to my mind, it brought to my mind a story from a long time ago, back when I, well, I still don't make smart decisions all the time, but this was not a smart decision. I worked at a Bible camp for eight summers up near Story City, and we were up there, and I won't say the name of the camp because I want to protect the legality of the story. So, um, we got all sorts of weird duties, and, and one of those one day is me and my buddy uh, Rick uh, were assigned to watch this burn pile. And this burn pile at, at the camp kind of looked something like that, and, and it was far away from anything else, but it was right next to a field. And I don't know why we were thinking and why the main instructor thought it was a good day to have a burn pile, but it was relatively dry that day. And so he starts it on fire, hands us a radio, and says, if it starts to spread, give me a call. Well, maybe call 911 first and then give me a call. But this is your, you have one job to do. Keep the fire where it is. Don't let it spread. Like, okay, that's pretty easy enough. So we're sitting there in our flip-flops and our, our shorts, and we're doing our thing. Like, how hard, how hard can this be? Now, I, I left because I had something else to do, and so Rick is in charge of it. What the maintenance director didn't know is that my friend Rick, as much as I love him, is quite possibly the most irresponsible human being on the face of the earth, okay? And he's not paying attention to it, and you know how fast fire spreads. And all of a sudden, we're all there with our radios, our packs on main camp. This is off next to a giant field. And all of a sudden, we just start to hear this screaming in our, in our packs, in our walkie-talkies. It's spreading! Come quick! Come quick! I can't stop it! I can't stop it! And so we all come running, and it's like this scene from Braveheart with the fire behind him, and my buddy Rick is running through this field. Half of the field, the entire soccer field, is consumed, is up, I kid you not, and three different fire departments from three different towns, woo-woo, we come running. I can't stop it! It's growing! I can't contain it! 
And I don't know why, but I think that the resurrected Savior wants to tell you today, some of you have settled for that when you can have that. Amen? Like, that's what he wants to do in your heart today. Like, I can't, I can't stop it. And my mind goes to Acts chapter 4, verse 20, where some of the early disciples of Jesus are, they're on trial. They're saying, you guys got to shut up. You got to stop. You got to stop talking about Jesus. And what do they say? As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. It's changed our lives. The, the fire inside, we're not our hearts burning within us as he walked with us along the road. We can't help speaking about it. We can't be quiet. This is the greatest news we've ever heard. Jesus wants to light that fire in you again. What does that look like? In, in very practical terms, what did, what did the early church do? How did they do this? How did they keep the fire lit? They lived the life that Jesus called them to live. They stepped into this new identity, followers of Jesus as witnesses to the resurrection, filled up with his power and sent on a mission. That's what it means to be the church. So what does that look like? They started to connect, they started to grow, and they started to serve. This is what they did. They connected as family, they grew as disciples, and they said, we're not going to go serve. Serving isn't something that we do. Servants are who we are. The question is not, am I going to serve? The question is, where am I going to serve? Because I follow the chief servant of all. Okay? So connect, grow, and serve. The first one is connect. What does that look like? For some of you today, it might be going to the New to Hope Elam booth and just getting connected so that we can get to know you and develop that relationship. For some of you, right after this, lunch is on us. We would love to share with you about the mission and vision of this church to meet some other people. Amazing things happen when you move from rows to circles. And some of you are missing out on the life of Jesus because you're constantly sitting in rows and Jesus is saying, turn around. That's where the action is. Get to know somebody. Coming to the new member class is not saying, I found the perfect church. This is it. They've got everything. They're going to meet every one of my needs, and I agree with everybody. Nope. Coming to new member class is saying, I found an imperfect church of a bunch of broken, imperfect people, but man, do they love each other well. And I can't do this alone, and so I'm going to link arms with them and say, God's got a mission for us in the city of Des Moines. Sign me up for that. That's what it means to come and get connected. So we're going to connect as family, but it's not going to stay there. We're going to grow together. Men's ministry, women's ministry, check Saturday morning, Thursday night. The women have a great event coming up here uh, in, in a couple weeks as well. There is an online prayer class that starts this week if you want to grow in your prayer life as well. Dozens of ways to get connected. Join a small group. Don't stop growing in your faith. And last but not least, serve. <laughs> to serve. I, I will tell you this, in 15 years of ministry, people come up to me and they say, John, I'm stuck. I'm stuck. I'm kind of navel-gazing and looking at myself, and I'm trying to figure out my life and be a better person and be a better Christian. And I say this, you know what's going to get you unstuck? Serving. Not managing your own sin, not wallowing in your own guilt and shame, getting outside of yourself and thinking of somebody else. And we're going to do that this summer, the church is going to leave the building, and we're going to do it a lot. And as you heard Morgan say, it starts next weekend. We are literally going to go door to door, and we're going to bless people, and we're not going to do it alone because we're not the only church in town. 
This isn't the only rodeo in town. And we're getting together with the three other churches that are right around Drake Park, and we're going to do it together, and we're going to say the church around the Drake area loves you. And we're going to do that together because it's not about hope. It's not about Hope Elam. It's about Jesus. Amen? So we're going to do that together. So we're going to do that next weekend. The other thing, and I'll just end here. Um, <laughs> you may not know this, but we have a ministry that's, that's called a shuttle team ministry. And there are people that are here today that would not be here unless somebody noticed them and said, maybe there's some people that don't have adequate transport, transportation to get to church. And we started this ministry a few months ago, and it continues to grow. And I'm here to report, uh, uh, praise God, there is a waiting list. Um, you know sometimes you wake up on Sunday morning and you're like nah I'm not feeling it today I got better things to do there are people that are on a list right now that have called this church and said is there any way that I could come and I can't get myself out of bed <laughs> And I'm worried about the style of music. And, I, and I'm worried what I'm going to get for breakfast and if the sermon's going to be boring or not. There are people that want to be a part of Hope Elam and they just need somebody to notice them. And you don't even, if you have your CDL, that's awesome. You are not, you're, you can't leave until we talk to you today. We would love to talk to you. And if you don't have your CDL, that's fine too. We need people that don't have a CDL to help drive. We need people to simply ride along the bus and smile at people and welcome them. There is a waiting list of people that want to be a part of what we're doing here. Will you be the church for them? I'm not kidding you. All I can think of is the story of Zacchaeus up in the tree. While everybody else is crowding around to see Jesus, he, yes, the wee little man, climbs up the tree to get a glimpse of Jesus. And everybody else walks by and nobody else notices him except Jesus who looks up in the tree and says, I see you. I see you up there, brother. I notice you and you have value and you have worth and you have dignity. I, I don't know what you did this week. I don't know what you got yourself into. I don't care where you're coming from. I don't care where you, what your background is. Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house today. And we just need some people, a part of this church that are willing to walk and say, I see you. I see that you don't have a ride and I'm willing to help. I'm willing to do whatever it takes. And if that's you, Morgan, our missions team leader, is going to be right out those doors today at the table and she would love to connect with you once a month to ride along and say, we're so glad to have you here. You can be a greeter on the bus. Haven't you had a childhood memory that you want to ride a school bus again? Now is your opportunity, people. This is for you. Jesus is looking for some people to say, I want to connect I want to grow. I want to serve. Some people that have had the fire lit inside of them again. And even if you haven't, ask Jesus for that today. Ask him to fill you up with the power of his Holy Spirit. That is the mission today. Resurrection people, Easter people are not people that have been filled with hope and so we can sit around and put our feet up and wait to go to heaven someday. What it means to be a follower of Jesus is to join Jesus in what he's already doing and bringing heaven to earth right here in Des Moines and you get to be a part of that, amen? That's what it means to be the church. And so we're gonna declare that this morning, whether you're online or here in the room, we're gonna ask 
that same Jesus, the same Holy Spirit to fill us up. We're going to sing the song we've done before called Rest on Us. Make it personal, as personal as a resurrected Savior coming up and putting his hand on your shoulder saying, it's for you. It's for you. It's time to be the church. Amen? Let's stand and worship together. Thanks so much for joining us. To find out more about Hope Elam, follow us on Instagram at hope.elam or visit our website at hope.elam.org.